So, um, how many of you think 2020 has been an awesome year? <laughs> Anybody? Okay. <laughs> I was just checking. Uh, 2020 has definitely been a unique year to say the least, right? Um, but Thanksgiving, thankfully, is right around the corner. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that You know what that means? Not only like food and fellowship and friends and family and all this stuff, but it means the year's almost over. So we get to go into a new year. Hopefully it's radically for the better different than the year we've been in. Um, but even in a year like 2020, we have things and we have people that we should be thankful for. Amen? Amen? And we do serve a God who is the one true God, and he's worthy of our thanks. So today, I'm starting a three-part series over the next three weeks, and it's just called simply Thanksgiving. Um, during, this, uh, during this time, during this message series over the next three weeks, I want to point our hearts to what it really, truly means to be thankful. How many of you have Thanksgiving traditions at your house or with your family? We all do, right? Anybody set up their tree the day after Thanksgiving or something as a tradition? Um, anybody have a certain family member that only brings a certain casserole? And if that casserole or dish is not there, it's like, wow, we didn't even have Thanksgiving, it feels like. So uh, we regularly do holiday-themed messages about Christmas and about Easter um, and I don't preach a special message on every holiday, but I really started thinking, you know, with 2020 having been the year that it has been, I really think that we need some time to dwell on the goodness of God. Amen? So the Apostle Paul closes out his first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 5. If you want to go there with me, you'll see it on the screen in just a minute. As the Apostle Paul closes out this letter, he tells them this in verse 15, 5 verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Say this word with me, everyone. Everyone. Rejoice always, verse 16. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And verse 19 says this, do not quench the spirit. I think Paul was onto something. We do believe that God used the authors of scripture, their own humanity, but they were led by the spirit of God to pen the words that we read thousands of years later. He mentions there in chapter 5 and his closing remarks to them, he's saying his goodbyes. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Seek to do good for everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances or in everything. And do not quench the Holy Spirit. I think those are good words to live by. <laughs> How many of you have ever struggled to rejoice always? Or to pray without stopping. How many of you have uh, fell asleep during prayer? I think I've told you that story before. I, in college, I would go work out with a buddy of mine. He was the downstairs neighbor. And um, we would set our alarms for the same time. And my job was to come down, knock on the door. We'd get in the truck and go. Well, there were many, many days I came in. And he was kneeling on the floor in the living room 
dead asleep in the chair. <laughs> just, he just faced down in the chair. He had started off strong, but then he fell asleep. We've all been there. But Paul's encouragement is pray without ceasing and then give thanks in all circumstances. How do you give thanks in a cancer diagnosis? How do you give thanks in the midst of a economic downturn or a change of career? How do you give thanks if you're experiencing relational troubles? Paul is telling them that they're to give thanks in all circumstances because it's the will of God that you be thankful. That's pretty powerful. So it's not a typo. Say the word all. All. Um, If it doesn't mean all circumstances, then I want to encourage you that we might need to revisit some other places in Scripture that use that same word all. Because you say, Pastor, how can I be thankful in all circumstances? Well, look at what Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says. It says, and my God shall supply every or all need of yours according to his riches in glory. So do we think it means all in this circumstance? You better believe it. We stand on the promise of God that he will provide for every one of our needs according to his riches. So when we think through this, we have to understand all means all. But what really is giving thanks? What is that? It is showing appreciation or it's demonstrating your gratitude I don't want to get too technical here, and I want you to keep awake with me, but giving thanks involves your voice, and it involves your heart. So even today, these days, when a man or any person, doesn't matter if it's a man, holds a door for a female to come through the door, the custom response or the customary response is, thank you. It's just a, it's a gesture of kindness, but we automatically say, thank you. We're appreciating that act. So we've received some benefit and we need to thank or show appreciation for it. So the big main point this morning is Thanksgiving is normal. I really feel like it should be every single day of a believer's life. They're having some technical difficulties. Don't worry about the screen. Just listen up and listen clear because you need this message this morning. There is something missing in the life of many believers and I really truly think it is a grateful and a thankful heart. How many of you have ever dealt with a child who was ungrateful? Well, then you know how God feels because we as believers sometimes can be ungrateful. Is that true? That's absolutely true. So Thanksgiving, though, should be normal, not just the holiday. If we ate like that every day, we'd, we'd be rolling around instead of walking around, okay? But Thanksgiving, when we talk about the spiritual practice of giving thanks, it should be normal, Look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 says. It says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul is basically telling them 
that as they've received the message and as more individuals receive the grace of God to salvation, that it leads to an increase in thanksgiving, a thankful heart. So the pattern of every Christian's life truly should be thanksgiving. We're to be thankful for all that God has done, thankful for all that God is doing, and thankful for what he's promised he will do. We have a reason, and not just one. We have millions of reasons to be thankful. A thankless attitude really is abnormal for Christians and for believers. Now, I have a reason to be thankful. Not just one, but many. Uh, Miss Christine's working on a picture to show you of something that I have to be thankful for. I'm thankful for my wife and my kids. I'm thankful for my church. And you look at this picture, what do you see on the ground? It's not a burrito. <laughs> it's, it, it's a giant roll of carpet, about 12, 14 inches high, very thick. And I hit it yesterday doing 55 miles an hour right there before the exit to Lakeland Drive. I damaged my car, the, the front end, not the front end, but technically just the bumper is messed up. I didn't even get a flat tire, but I'm telling you, the moment that I pulled to the side of the road, all I could do was say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You protected me. I could have hit that in a different way. I could have flipped. I could have gone into a ditch. I could have swerved into another car. There are tons of things that could have happened, but God protected me. And you say, well, pastor, that could just be, you know, the universe and the other things. No, it's not. I choose to declare my faith in God is where my hope is. And so I see a moment like that happens and I, I can't thank God for, I don't know how much the estimate for the car repair is going to be. I do thank God I'm smart enough to have car insurance. And I do pray that the car insurance pays for the repair. I'm not going to thank God that I hit that, but I'm going to thank God that he brought me through that. Amen? Come on. Somebody get excited. Your pastor is still alive. Okay? So that's what I'm saying. We need to think about this. Now, I've met plenty of people who are Debbie Downers. That's what I call them. Negative Nellies. There's a bunch of different words for them. You know, who could just boohoo and cry about every bad circumstance. But in the midst of even that mundane moment that may not have shaped the world, but it could have changed my life and my future, I chose to immediately thank God. Thank God, thank God. You and I have a reason, and more than just one, to thank Him. The circumstance in itself may not be good, but God still deserves our thanks. How quickly we as Christians become ungrateful or unthankful. Look at what Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 tells us. It says that we're to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Surely he didn't mean everything. No, he really did mean everything. Give thanks always and for everything. Even in times of trouble, look at what Colossians chapter 3 says. Over the next three weeks, we're going to really get thankful every Sunday. And I hope that you practice it every day this month and make it a pattern in your life. If you're, if you're missing it, you're missing out. Look at what Colossians 3 verse 15 says. And let the peace of Christ rule you. 
I'm here to tell you something. The peace of Christ can rule in your heart in the midst of an election, in the midst of an accident, in the midst of a loss of a job, in the midst of a change of finance. The peace of Christ can rule you if you would only let it. It says this, to which indeed you were called in one body. Unity is mentioned there. And be thankful. Paul Paul must have been a really thankful man. Because almost every one of his letters, you can find that encouragement or endorsement. Hey, you need to thank God. Look at what it says in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That sounds like church, don't it? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think sometimes we as believers might show up to church and mouth the words, but we're not truly being thankful in our hearts to God for all he's done. So we really need to. And if you're thankful, tell your face. That was just for somebody. I don't know who, but if you're thankful, you should show it. Amen. Look at what verse 17 says. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul's showing us and telling us how we're to actually do our thanks. How we're supposed to make sure that it happens. We're supposed to thank, thank you Father through Jesus Christ his son. Yes, I thank him for salvation Not only spiritually, but I also thank him for salvation like yesterday. I thank him for the moments of my life that may have seemed very dark in that moment. And they were indeed dark. But I thank him because he taught me something. He brought me out. He carried me. So a thankless attitude is abnormal for Christians. That's why I don't think you should meet any sad, angry, down-in-the-mouth Christians I think Christians ought to have a source of eternal joy. Amen? Right? A a source that they can go to with thanksgiving in their heart. Just think about all the psalms you've ever heard. I can't go into them all. That's why we're doing three weeks of this. But give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Well, you could really dwell on that verse for a day. And thank him for the mercy that he's shown you in your life. If I'm reading it right, God's will is for you to thank him and to do so regularly. Not not just one day out of the year, but regularly. And remember, thanks goes to the source. I don't thank the cow that gave its life for my hamburger, but I do thank God for providing that meal, providing my job, blessing the farmers, raising the cattle. I do. I'm not going to go directly to, but here's the thing. If I understand what this human life is all about, I know that God is the one who gave it to me. He's the one in whom I live and breathe and have my being. So my thanks goes to him. I thank the Lord for my beautiful wife. I wouldn't have found her without him. Hold your spouse's hand for a second. Give them a little, little shoulder kiss or even a kiss on the cheek or lips. Without God, you wouldn't have found that person. 
Without God, Amy and I wouldn't be here in this church. Without God, she wouldn't be teaching at CCA. Without God. And I think of the circumstances in my own life that involve my family. Y'all remember a few years back, my daughter almost died. Rushed to the hospital, fell off a balcony, and walked away because a fat angel took her place. (laughs) Walked away from it. I mean, that's incredible when you think about it. God's been good to me. And here's the thing. This is what happens. You as a believer end up looking so closely at the circumstance in front of your face that you completely forget the goodness of God that's all behind you. Okay, this message is just for me this morning. I'm telling you the truth though. It happened to the Israelites. It happens to you and I today. Forgetting where we come from or came from and forgetting all that God has done for us. And then we get super stressed out because we're just staring this problem in the face. In the meantime, we're to be giving thanks in every circumstance. So why aren't we grateful? This will hit you in different ways, but I'm going to talk about three different attitudes today specifically that cause us to be ungrateful. They block or they hinder thankfulness in our heart and us giving thanksgiving. Not only is it narrow-minded or nearsighted, I guess you would say, where you're just examining your problem and you're consumed by it, but there are a few attitudes that take shape In the life of believers. The first one is this. It's doubt. Doubt can stop the flow of thanksgiving in your heart. If there's a moment that you doubt someone's intentions. And they're doing something for you. It's pretty hard to say thank you. When we have doubt that creeps in in our spiritual life, we end up doubting either God's character or his actions, and that poisons our faith. Doubt truly does poison our faith, and it hinders our thanksgiving. When we have doubt, why would we thank what we doubt? Think about it. Why would we thank the Lord for the life that we have, the breath that we have? You know what blesses and ministers to my heart and has brought tears to my eyes before? Seeing people who have gone through horrible tragedies give thanks to God, that God is still with them, that he's, I think of the evangelist, uh, the gentleman, Nick Wojcicic, I think is how you say his name. But I think of people who have gone through horrendous experiences so far greater than I think I could handle at all. And yet they stand and give glory to God. They didn't allow doubt to creep in, in the midst of their diagnosis or the midst, uh, in the midst of their circumstance. In Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites had been traveling to the promised land and now they get to the place where they have no water. (laughs) They're going in a desert On a horse with no name. I'm just kidding. I don't even know the context of that song. Don't repeat this. Okay? They're in the desert and they don't have water. Look at what 17 verse 2 says. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you argue with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
You say, whoa, wait a second. Maybe Moses was getting on a high horse there thinking he's the Lord. No, he's saying God's brought us out of the place where we were enslaved and now we're out here. Why are you arguing with me and why are you testing the Lord? If you're carefully reading scripture and look for the word test, you will see that God says you may test me in one thing and that's it. And it's not about your needs that you have like this. But they tested the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 3. Then the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. You ever met a grumbling person? Oof. And they said this, Why would you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, God, help me. What shall I do with this people in verse 4? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on in front or before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Verse 7 says, And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. Those two words, the first one means testing, the second one means arguing or quarreling. It says he named them this because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord even among us or not? You say, oh, man, those naughty, naughty Israelites. If you take just a second, you might think there have been moments of your own life where you've been guilty of that same exact thing. God, are you with me or not? I mean, I'm going through this and I can't see the end, the light at the end of the tunnel. I can't get out of this no matter what I do and how I work. I I can't do it. Are you with me or not? It's important to note that it was God who led the Israelites to this place. If you're paying attention and you thought through your Sunday school lessons of You know, the Lord leading them by a cloud and by fire. He was leading them. Listen to what the the word of the Lord says. It says, and they traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded them. God was well aware of their location. He knew where they were and he knew what they needed. Yet they doubted that he was even with them. And doubt hindered their thanksgiving. How could they stand there in, with a grateful heart? They couldn't. I'm sure there was some sort of celebration after they started feeding their livestock and their babies and their grandparents with the water that was miraculously flowing from a rock in the desert. I'm sure there was some celebration and they all got rehydrated and got a little better attitude. But I don't know that they clearly stopped in that moment and said, thank you, God, from whom all blessings flow, because they had been stopped or blocked from doing that because of the doubt in their heart. Doubt forms in many ways, but one thing is sure. When you are out of spiritual practice, you're more susceptible to doubt. When you're not reading his word, you're susceptible to doubt. 
When you're not praying, when you're not fellowshipping, when you're not doing those things, that's when doubt creeps in. And the sad thing about doubt is it slips in undetected a lot of times, and then it grows bigger than you ever imagined it would. So stay close to God. You want to develop thankfulness in your heart, you better stay close to the source. Because when you're close to Him, your heart will be filled with thanksgiving. The second attitude is this that hinders thanksgiving and it's selfishness. How many of you know a selfish person? Don't nudge your neighbor. Okay. We know some selfish people. But you know this attitude, it even happens to us as Christians. I'm not content with the way that God is working in my life. It's not what I desire. They're discontented. And they're selfish. If God doesn't come in and fit this perfect picture, then my self-will is going to take over and it's going to run roughshod over all the will that God has for me. I can be selfish and I can prevent myself from experiencing the blessings of God. And it also helps me turn off the flow of thankfulness if I'm being selfish. And I am Have you been selfish this last week? Anybody else besides me? Okay. James and John are good examples of selfishness. You say the disciples of Jesus? Mm Mm-hmm. They asked to be the most prestigious and powerful people in his kingdom. You may remember this passage in Matthew chapter 20. We'll read it in a minute. But they basically were asking to be on his right hand and on his left. And even got their mama involved And it wasn't so that they could serve more people. It wasn't so that they could do more good. It was so that their head or their ego would be expanded and grown. It was so that they could say, I'm at the right hand. How do you think that made the other disciples feel in the moments where they heard those words? Being selfish will make you lose friends for sure. They didn't give any thought to how others would be affected. They just wanted what they wanted. And they were even willing to alienate themselves from their other brothers because they had to have it and had to have it right now. Jesus tells them that their selfishness reflects the attitude of the world. And can I just say this? I'm going to have to replay this message and listen back to this phrase. But selfishness is in direct opposition To who God is. That's. It's even hard to say. (laughs) It's even harder to, to live. Selfishness goes against the grain of the teachings of Jesus. It goes against the character and the nature of God throughout all of human history. Selfishness is in opposition to God. So Jesus has these words to say to the disciples. Basically, he says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you've got to be a servant. Look at what Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 says. It shall not be so among you. He's talking about uh, the verses before basically are talking about what the disciples say. And he says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant or the servant of all. Verse 27, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
I don't know about you and how you were raised, but you may have heard this phrase um, when you get in line as a kid, you know, in school or in church or something. And somebody would say, the first shall be last and the last shall be. And they'll, they'll say something like that. Jesus is saying something so heavy in that statement there. He's saying that if you actually want to be an important part of his kingdom, that you've got to learn to serve. I love our new t-shirts. You should wear them all over town. It says here to serve. That's what we're here to do. We're to serve others. If you're not serving, this isn't even in my notes. If you're not serving, that means you're selfish. Okay, I'm going to move on before I get... (laughs) Uh, Turned into a funeral home, Mark. Okay. So stop being selfish. I know it's hard. But stop being selfish and start being thankful. Amen. She knows that'll help me get to the next point. All right, number three. (laughs) Number three, impatience. This is an attitude that will hinder thanksgiving. Some of us don't give thanks simply because God doesn't move on our schedule. We're impatient as people. How many of you have asked some bad questions? How many of you know a patient person? That's a great question. How many of you love that patient person? I absolutely love the patient people in my life. I need people like that in my life (laughs) to be patient with me. But I love them. I admire them. I wish I could be like them. Holy Spirit, help me be the best Dexter I can be for you. Notice I wasn't praying for patience. Be careful, okay? (laughs) Be careful. If you pray for patience, God will give you those opportunities in which to grow your patience. But some of us don't give thanks to God because he's not on our schedule. We're like the child that throws the tantrum. I think of that, um, that strange, strange movie, the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, and, um, baby Cruella DeVille, whatever her name is. I don't know what her name is. The girl. The girl who's asking, I want it now. I want the chocolate and I want it now. I don't know her name. But well, <laughs> uh, but she's impatient. And we, we make jokes and we laugh about it. But that's really how we treat God sometimes. So I want this and I want it now. But we should learn to thank God for the process that we're in. And we should trust him in the process You know, bad things happen when you try to rush God's process. Have you experienced that in your own life? I know I have. There are a couple examples throughout Scripture, but thinking back just to Exodus 17, do you think that God would have allowed the people he miraculously saved and brought out from slavery, do you think he would have allowed them to die of thirst? Had they just waited patiently, God would have provided You say, well, how would he have provided? He may have chosen to provide the exact same way. He may have chosen for for Moses to go and hit the rock and have the water come out. He may have chosen for a river to spring up out of the ground in the middle of the desert. I don't know, but I know this. He wouldn't have forsaken his people whom he loves. It's easy for me to say that about them. 
It's harder for you to think about it for your own self. Their impatience produced a lack of faith and not remembering what God had already done for them. Look at what Psalm 106 verse 13 says about this moment in the Israelites' life. It says, but they soon forgot his works and they did not wait for his counsel. A phrase we use in common language is they jumped the gun. They went out in front and they shouldn't have. They should have waited patiently. I think of somebody like, um, well, this kind of goes back to the other point of selfishness. But I think about um, a person like Abraham and Sarah, a scenario like that in scripture. That's another good example of impatience. Sarah and Abraham, they were impatient about the promise of God and they tried to get to the finish line faster. You say, Pastor, remind me what you're talking about. When Sarah has the idea and she says, well, maybe that God would have a son through my my servant, through Hagar. That caused some devastating consequences that still continue to this day. Because they simply tried to short circuit or take the shortcut or be impatient. And because of that, do you think Sarah wants her heart turned because then Hagar and Ishmael get kicked out of the camp? You think she was thinking, hey, baby, come back whenever you want to, sweetheart. Yeah. No, her heart wasn't in that place. Her heart couldn't be thankful. There's no way her heart could be thankful. In fact, if I'm reading into scripture, I would think if I were Sarah, I would probably find it hard as I found out that I was pregnant. I'd be thankful, but I'd also, because of the impatience and the the moment that she'd already been through, she knew there was a hill to climb in thanking God. And it's because she had allowed impatience to get the best of her. I love what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. It says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you. How many of you can thank God this morning that God has been patient towards you? Can I see your hands? That's everybody. We, we must understand that the Lord is not slow. We may feel like he's slow, but he's working on a different plan than even we have. If any of these attitudes that I mentioned today invade our hearts, there's another word for that, but the word for that is sin. If we're ungrateful, because of impatience or because of any of those other attitudes that I shared, we have sin in our life. We're not obeying scripture when Paul says, be thankful in everything and in all circumstances. Would you stand with me today? If you are truly saved, you should be a thankful person. Even more so so if you believe and if you understand like we do about the filling of the Holy Spirit, even more so those who are filled with the Holy Spirit should be the most thankful people on the planet. Not just to God, but to others. That the thanksgiving just flows easily. So maybe you fit into one of those categories where you've been guilty 
whether it's being impatient or uh, one of the other two attitudes like selfishness that you're facing and struggling with, or maybe it's a place of doubt that you've been experiencing lately, doubting God's promise. I wanna encourage you to just close your eyes this morning and to turn to him in this last moment during this last song, we always say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? There's a little trick with that. When we say it, he's already been talking to you throughout the message. So talk to him, talk to God, your father today about how thankful you are. Talk to him about what stopped you from being thankful. Ask him for his help and his strength that as we go into this Thanksgiving season, that we truly have our eyes open to all that he's done and that all that he is towards us. Father, I thank you today for my life. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for my family. I thank you for the call to ministry. Lord, I thank you for the many blessings over and over and over again you've given me. God, I thank you that you're moving in our church, that you're moving in our individual hearts and lives. And I thank you, Lord, that today we are turning to you with grateful hearts. Let's do that right now in Jesus' name. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will all. 